Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, we've got a treasure trove of tech gadgets, cyber threats, drones, and even disappearing tattoos. All this and more coming up. Just a week after Apple released one of its biggest mobile operating system updates since last year, they're back with another one. And if you haven't installed it yet, you need to do it right now. iOS 14.5.1 patches two zero-day security flaws that allowed remote attackers to control devices even if they'd been fully patched. Also this week, word from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, that at least five U.S. federal agencies may have experienced cyber attacks that targeted recently discovered security flaws that gave hackers free reign over vulnerable networks. In addition, Ars Technica reports that security firm FireEye says hackers linked to China spent months exploiting a different critical vulnerability to spy on U.S. defense contractors and financial institutions around the world. These latest hacks come just a few months after the vast solar winds hack on more than 1,800 government agencies, financial institutions, and other private businesses all around the world. That one, federal officials said, could be tracked back to Russia. In response to that, as well as Russian disinformation and attempts to interfere with the 2020 election, President Biden announced some sanctions against Russia and expelled some Russian diplomats from the U.S. But while we've often heard about sanctions against Russia, what we wondered is, do they ever actually work? For some perspective on that, we talked to Kent State University political science professor Dr. Mark Cassell. Part of the problem with sanctions is that Oftentimes, you're, you're issuing sanctions as a deterrent, right? So you're trying to get someone to sort of stop a certain kind of behavior. And the trouble is that it's really hard to sort of prove that it was the sanction that changed their behaviors. So sanctions are sort of hard politically because they don't oftentimes show an effect. Like, you know, maybe it did change Russia's behavior, but it's hard to sort of demonstrate that because sort of the nature of sanctions as deterrent means that you don't see the effect, right? So you have to sort of infer that they might have changed their behavior. And that's often the case with a lot of different kinds of sanctions. We're trying to get a country or a regime to sort of stop doing something. And if they do stop doing it, it's, you know, we have to sort of infer that it's a function of, of the sanctions. I'd also say that sometimes it may not be that the sanctions are problematic. It may just be that the problem is, is too big to deal with the sanctions. So the threat might be so large that we're asking sanctions to do too much in some instances. So it's not that necessarily sanctions are a problem, but it might just be that we're asking those sanctions to sort of do more than they're really able to do. But he says there are some sanctions that can work. I think having more participants, more international participation, more multilateralism is crucial to ensuring that sanctions work. And I, and I do think that in the case of Russia, there's a chance that they could work, not necessarily for the way that you might be thinking. I don't think that expelling individuals for spying is going to be especially effective in changing the behavior. But what will affect, I think, Putin and the Russian administration are efforts that might undervalue their currency or might reduce the value of their currency. 
you know, Russia's currency fluctuates, and to the degree that Russia is experiencing uncertainty or threats going forward, it has a depressing effect on its currency. And so, for example, we know that the recent buildup on the Ukrainian border has led to the Russian currency being depressed by close to 15%. And I think that's a reflection of the global market sort of looking at Russia and wondering what's going to happen going forward. And I think for that, I think actually Putin is, in fact, very sensitive to the impacts that any kind of international action has on him of Russia's currency. I think that does, in fact, have an effect. But cyber threats come in all shapes and sizes, and they don't just threaten big government agencies and banks. In fact, as Larry Maggot reports, the cyber wolf in sheep's clothing can be hiding in plain sight right on your kitchen counter. I recently purchased a smart Kosori combination air fryer and toaster oven. It's a great product, and it's able to connect to my Wi-Fi network, so I can control it via an app or my voice using smart speakers from Amazon or Google. But I just read on ZDNet that another smart Kosori air fryer has a security flaw that could allow it to be accessed by a hacker. And that, said Craig Williams of Cisco Talos Intelligence Group, which discovered the flaw, could turn my air fryer into a cyber weapon. One of the things an attacker always wants is more places to route their attacks through. And having home network connections that are effectively unmonitored are a great way to do that. More on how you can protect your smart appliances at connectsafely.org slash radio. With the Connect Safely Report, I'm Larry Magid for CBS News. Now, a cyber threat of a different kind, real-world violence driven by online agitation. Facebook's Oversight Board has voted to continue former President Trump's ban on the platform. Mr. Trump's account was suspended after the January 6th riot at the Capitol for inciting violence. The board faulted Facebook for suspending the former president indefinitely without clear standards in place and says the company has six months to re-examine its quote, arbitrary penalty, CNET editor-at-large Ian Share. It's good to see that the Oversight Board agreed with many of us on January 6th who felt like this moment in American history was scary and that the specter of violence was real. And by responding the way it did, Facebook had acted in the interests of people's safety. Great. Now we need to figure out What do we do next? And that is what's really key. Now let's talk about some really big new gadgets, starting with a self-driving store. CNET's Brian Cooley has more. Toyota's e-pallet vehicles are essentially self-driving glass-walled vans that can be configured as autonomous minibuses or, more interestingly, as self-driving stores or mini offices or restaurants that take themselves where there is demand. It's an idea that should have launched at the Tokyo Olympics, but that got canceled. Toyota says they'll put the vehicles in actual use with Amazon, Pizza Hut, and Uber in the next few years. Specifics are slim, but imagine a Pizza Hut location that locates itself where demand is in real time. So delivery drivers have a shorter run to get the pizza to you hotter and fresher. Or a new kind of Amazon showroom that positions itself where people have expressed interest in learning about an unfamiliar new tech product before they buy it. 
All this is taking the idea of self-driving and looking at it through the other end of the telescope. Move things to where people are instead of finding better ways to move people to where the things are. High-tech cars and modern driving at CoolionCars.com. You're likely to see more commercial drones in the sky soon, as some new federal regulations recently went into effect that allow drone pilots more freedom to fly where they want. Jeff Colvin from Fortune Magazine has a report. Commercial drone pilots can now fly at night or over vehicles without needing a special waiver from the Federal Aviation Administration, and flights over people are also permitted in many circumstances. The changes should make it much easier to use drones to photograph events, conduct monitoring and inspection flights, and film scenes for movies. But we're still a long way from the science fiction vision of remote flying vehicles filling the skies, ferrying goods, and maybe even people. Companies with bigger drones doing riskier things like hauling packages still need FAA permission. All but the smallest drones must now carry a transmitter broadcasting their ID to anyone in the area monitoring the correct frequency. A step toward a nationwide drone traffic control system. I'm Jeff Colvin. Something new from Amazon, a whole new way to shop. CBS's Deborah Rodriguez tells us how. No need for cash, no need for a credit card. At a Whole Foods near Seattle, Amazon is testing out biometric technology that lets shoppers pay by scanning the palm of their hands. Though you still have to scan your purchases, the palm prints are linked to credit cards, avoiding the need for hand-to-hand or hand-to-machine contact. The system, Amazon One, is already in use at Amazon's brick-and-mortar bookstores. The company plans to roll it out at seven more Whole Foods near its Seattle head quarters in the months ahead and denies critics claims it'll lead to job cuts. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. And finally, word about a completely different kind of technology, the kind you used to see on old spy movies, but with a very modern twist. More from CBS's Jennifer Brown. If you could go back and avoid that cliche tattoo, would you? You know, the bicep with the barbed wire or the tramp stamp. The company Ephemeral says they've got a tattoo that'll fade away between 9 and 15 months. It took six years to develop the ink that dissolves naturally. At Ephemeral's tattoo shop in Brooklyn, this kind of vanishing tattoo can cost up to $450. The look of relief on your mother's face when you tell her it will fade? Priceless. Jennifer Brown, CBS News, New York. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy. And we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>